visit eb5eb5.com today. Come to America, live your life in America. The EB-5 program offers a path to U.S. citizenship. Invest in your family's future. America offers world-class healthcare. America's top colleges. Clean air and water. Our team of professionals are here to help. Contact us today. The EB-5 Investor Portal. Visit eb5eb5.com today. Hello EB-5 investors, this is Floyd Mitchell with EB5EB5.com. Welcome to episode 5 of the EB-5 Investor Portal podcast, recording on Friday, December 1st, 2017. Today's episode is titled, Applying for an EB-5 Visa as an H-1B Applicant or Visa Holder, with special guest and immigration attorney Sam Newbold of Barst, Mokamal & Kleiner. Sam heads up BMK's EB-5 practice group, representing individual investors, regional centers, and developers. Sam has counseled hundreds of individual EB-5 investors and their families through the entire EB-5 process and has one of the highest approval ratings in the industry. Mr. Newbold is a well-established speaker on immigration law topics in New York City and throughout the country. He often presents on topics involving complex immigration issues. Mr. Newbold also serves on the board of directors for the Safe Passage Project, a nonprofit that provides pro bono legal aid to accompanied minors in the immigration process process. He holds degrees from New York Law School and Elon University. He's admitted to practice law in New York and New Jersey. He is a member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, American Bar Association, and the New York State Bar Association. Mr. Newbold has been listed in the 2015 16 and 17 Super Lawyers Rising Stars publication, which recognizes New York City's top attorneys under the age of 40. Sam, welcome to the show. Today's topic is covering H-1B applicants and visa holders who may want to learn more about the EB-5 program. Sam, can you tell us if individuals seeking a U.S. green card may file an EB-5 petition concurrently with a pending EB-2 or EB-3 application out to USCIS? Sure. We have a number of Indian clients who are here in the United States on H-1B and their employers have filed employment-based green cards on their behalf. We call these EB-2 or EB-3 category green cards in contrast to EB-5, for example. And Indians are subject to a backlog in EB-2 and EB-3, similar to how Chinese are subject to a backlog in EB-5. Basically, we only give out a certain number of visas globally and we cap also the number of visas we give out to specific countries every year as well. So because of the interest we have in Indian nationals wanting to immigrate through employment, it's created a, a very long line in the EB-2 and EB-3 category for Indian nationals who are here in the United States on H-1B visas. And they're here continuously on those H-1B visas, employed with their employers while they're waiting for their green cards to come through, meaning that they're waiting for their 
visa uh, number to be current so that they can process and adjust their status from being an H-1B visa holder to a U.S. green card holder. And so oftentimes what they do is they'll come to us because they're hearing about EB-5 and there's no backlog for Indian nationals in the EB-5 category. And they're looking to perhaps pursue, you know, an EB-5 investment as a way to get a green card because it would be faster than having to wait, you know, 10 to 15 years maybe for their visa number to become current to process under EB-2 or EB-3. And so one of the questions initially that they ask us is, can I file an EB-5 petition if I have an EB-2 or an EB-3 sort of green card case going with my employer? You know, and the answer to that is yes, absolutely. These petitions operate totally independently of one another. For example, the investor files an EB-5 petition themselves, and the employer is actually the entity that sponsors the, the immigrant for the green card and files all the paperwork. And so they're the actual person who files that petition with immigration there. So you have an employment-based green card case going, an investment-based green card case going, and they can totally operate concurrently. They don't interfere with each other necessarily. And they don't even really have to, those cases never really cross paths at all. So the question about whether or not that's possible is yes, it's definitely possible. And uh, we have, you know, Indian national clients who've successfully done that. And it's becoming very popular. I would assume that in some cases, Sam, some of these employees that may be sponsored by their employer might be a little bit nervous about their employer finding out that they are filing an EB-5 petition after the employer has invested money and time in helping them with their H-1B visa. Have you encountered this? Is this a reasonable concern? Yeah. I mean, for some people, it might be a sensitive subject, and, and we can totally understand why the employer has invested in this employee. They've spent you know, ten fifteen thousand dollars or so on putting together this perm and I one forty petition for them, and they're holding a job offer open to them while this is in process, and and the, and the employee is waiting for their visa number to become current. There is this sort of level of concern by the employee that maybe if they go off on their own and try to find their own green card, it might make them fall out of favor with their employer, so to speak. So we, we understand that. And that's really a case-by-case thing. You know, some employees have great relationships with their employers and their employers may think that's a great idea. Other employers, if they found out about that, may not see it that way. <laughs> so you have to be somewhat aware of the relationship that the employee has. And that's really their decision about whether to do that. An employee is going to know whether or not something like that is going to affect their employment with their employer. So you obviously don't want to have them pursue something that they aren't comfortable with, but it's something to consider for sure. Oftentimes, the investor, we're really talking about Indian nationals here, will go online and research about EB-5 and, and they'll talk amongst themselves, or maybe they, they have a colleague or a friend that they know, somebody who's done this themselves, and they'll have questions, but they're not quite sure who to contact about that. And maybe it might be beneficial for them to contact their immigration counsel for their employer. But again, that depends on their relationship with their employer. That may not be a good idea for some people if they feel like it would be a problem. They may want to uh, go seek their own immigration counsel to pursue this if they don't necessarily want their employer to know. So it's definitely something to think about. And we come across that set of circumstances frequently. When the employee files the EB-5 petition, is there some type of notification from USCIS that will go to that respective employee's HR department? 
will their boss find out that they're filing a second petition concurrently with their H-1B? And is this something that they need to spend any time worrying about in terms of things being awkward at work or uh, upsetting their boss, things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, look, their the employer's not really going to know. I mean, let's, let's liken this to a similar situation. Let's say that um, either the employee gets married to a U.S. citizen and they file a green card petition that way. And they get their green card through marriage. Like, I mean, look, there's uh, life happens and things happen and people's circumstances change. The employer is not going to know that that person, unless they told them they got married for purposes of tax treatment, you know, HR and things like that, they might find out that way. But they're not going to find out from immigration necessarily that an I-130 petition has been filed by their new U.S. citizen spouse. Similarly, they're not going to, and the USCIS is going to notify HR of their employer that the uh, investor filed an EB-5 petition. So no, there's nothing really to be concerned about there necessarily. It's quite often that clients of ours who do this uh, concurrent process, you know, will go through and file their 526 and adjust their status and they go to work with a green card one day and they just let HR know that here's my green card. <laughs> and they find out that way. So you can't expect to live your life in a vacuum. You know, life changes and circumstances change. And you know, this is just an option for people who are, who are looking to pursue it. Can you tell us how an investor would fund their EB-5 investment and what the total amount is and a little bit about the money aspects of this process? Sure. Well, ideally, if, if this person has been employed in the United States and they have a um, a good income, and uh, they can leverage that income to serve as their investment in the EB-5 program. That's a very nice set of circumstances to have. That's really kind of like the best circumstances where they really just have W-2 income and you're, you're filing their tax returns as proof of that and things of that nature. And that's a good way for them to document their source of funds. A common scenario that we have with our clients from India in this situation is they have a house and perhaps they've paid off the mortgage on that house and they'll get a new home equity line of credit, for example, against that house and use those proceeds to serve as their investment principal in the EB-5 program. That's very common as well. And then other clients will combine a domestic income that they've, they've earned here through employment, maybe uh, proceeds from a home mortgage that they've gotten and, it, and possibly a gift from a relative abroad that we can show source of funds from, um, and then they stitch it together that way. Um, and all of those scenarios are, are perfectly fine and perfectly acceptable and approvable. And that's the general way that most nationals uh, from India uh, come up with the funds for the EB-5 program. Do the funds have to come from overseas or can they be funds that are in a U.S. bank account or here in America? And can investors use funds from friends and family the funds just have to be from a lawful source. There's nothing in the regs that say that the funds have to come from overseas. They just have to show that they were earned lawfully. So I guess people may think that, you know, if you're in the United States unlawfully or something that you can't use your income here, which would be true because you didn't really earn that income lawfully because you didn't have work authorization. But if you're here invalid, non-immigrant visa status, and you're an H-1B visa holder, and you've been employed and it's all valid, you can use all that income that was lawfully earned here in the United States. It doesn't have to necessarily come from abroad. So that rumor is, is false. You can absolutely use income that's earned here in the United States. Similarly, you don't even have to be in the United States, but you may own property or investments here in the United States, and that income is here in the U.S., and that's certainly lawful as well. 
So yeah, that's it doesn't have to entirely come from abroad or, or all from abroad. Domestic earnings here in the U.S., as long as they're lawful, uh, can be used. Thank you for clarifying that, Sam. Can EB-5 investors use gifts from friends or family to make their investment? Yeah, absolutely. As long as it's a true gift, you know, and it's money that can be sourced and there's a clear path of funds and there's clear paper trail and documentation about where the person giving that money got that money from the beginning. Same set of circumstances and burden of proof are required from that person giving the money that the investor would have to show. So you have to provide that documentation as well. So as long as that documentation exists and the source of those funds being gifted uh, can be obtained, then absolutely money can be gifted. You mentioned earlier that the EB-5 visa has grown in popularity amongst immigrants from India. Can you compare the EB-5 visa to the H-1B and discuss some of the similarities there or the key differentiators? Sure. The H-1B program is problematic in some ways. Look, it's the most common employment-based you know, work visa that we have in the U.S. that we offer to people. It's a visa that re- requires a specialty occupation, meaning that the job has to be uh, one that requires at least a, a bachelor's degree in a specific field and that the employee has to have that relevant bachelor's degree or equivalent work experience to be qualified for the position. So it's really common for, for people who are coming out of school, they're here as a student and want to transition into the workforce here to apply for an H-1B. The, the issue for, H1, for H-1Bs is that they're subject to an annual quota. So there's only a certain amount of H-1Bs that the government um, allots for people every fiscal year. And those are used up usually within the first week <laughs> that you can apply for H-1Bs, which is the first week of April. So the government's response to that issue is to create a lottery system, whereas basically, if you want to be eligible for an H-1B visa with a start date of October 1st in the year, you have to submit your application within the first five days of April to be considered in the lottery. Then they'll randomly select up to 85,000 or so applicants, just truly randomly in that process. So with the way that the numbers work, last year we had about 200,000 applicants for roughly around 85,000 visas, 65,000 roughly for people with bachelor's degrees and another carve out 20,000 for, for people with U.S. master's degrees. So do the, do the math. The odds of being selected could be somewhere around 30, maybe 40% for people with master's degrees. And that leaves a lot of people out to dry in terms of being selected. So then what do they do? Right. And then they're left scrambling. They either have to leave, go back to school, find another visa category so on and so forth. If you are selected in the H-1B lottery, you have the H-1B for up to six years. If you're from India and you're looking to transition into a green card, the employer will normally start that process in your fourth or fifth year in H-1B status. And depending on whether or not you're in EB-2 or EB-3 category, you might be waiting for another eight, 10, 12 years before you can actually get the green card. So if you add all that stuff together, you know, 18 years, maybe 15 years, 12 years, depending on the backlog, you combine the time in H-1B status, the wait time and the EB-2 or EB-3 category just to get a green card. And that's the reason why people from India who are here on H-1Bs, you know, and they're looking for green card options are, are, you know, looking, looking hard at the EB-5 option because 
If you're on an H-1B and you submit a 526 application, that 526 application is taking about 18 to 22 months to adjudicate. And once that's approved, as long as you've been maintaining your H-1B status, you can file an adjustment of status, which takes about four to six months to adjudicate. And you've got your, your green card in hand at that point. So you're looking at somewhere around 24 to 28 months as opposed to 15 years. <laughs> there are things to consider as well. like the, the green card that you get with the EB-2 and the EB-3 petition, you know, doesn't have any conditions. For example, you do have to um, follow through with the offer of employment and continue to work for that employer for a period of time before you could, say, switch jobs, for example. The EB-5 green card that you get is conditioned for two years. So there is a conditional period with the green card. And at the end of that two-year period, you have a 90-day window to submit an 829 application to remove the conditions that you can, so that you can get your unconditional regular green card. Fulfill those uh, requirements. You have to demonstrate that the jobs that you said were going to be created have been created. The investment remains at risk and deployed into the project. And once you demonstrate that, your regular green card will be issued. So, I mean, look, there's some differences between the benefits that you get. I mean, if you pick a good project, project's on point, it's really just a matter of uh, filing it and, and just making sure that you file it on time and, and you'll get your regular green card. But, you know, these are things that, these are the exact conversations that we have with our clients. We, we weigh the pros and cons. We talk about their individual circumstances because everything's case by case and and some people have different concerns than others. But in terms of time, that's kind of what you're looking at. And that's the reason why EB-5 has become very popular with H-1B visa holders from India. I understand that in some cases, both spouses, husband and wife, are here on work authorization under the H-1B. When it comes to EB-5, does all it take is just one of the two spouses to be approved under the EB-5 petition? And that um, gets... American citizenship for the the wife or the husband, the, the person not applying for the EB-5? Because my understanding is once one petitioner is approved, so is their spouse and all children under the age of 21. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. First, first off, because they're here in the U.S. and they're U.S. persons, the, the applicant EB-5 investor has to be accredited, right? So they they have to make sure that they, their income requirements uh, or their net worth are of uh, a level that allows them to invest as an accredited investor here. So those are things to take into account. And when we're talking with clients, sometimes they, and this goes back to the, the point of maybe they want to do this uh, subtly and sort of under the radar or something. They'll say, well, the person who's the primary beneficiary on the H-1B visa holder, who has the H-1B may say, you know, look, I think it might be hard for me to kind of keep this under wraps. Uh, and I'm not sure how my employer would, would think about this. Can my spouse, who's here on an H-4 visa, be the primary investor? The answer to that question is yes. Almost always income is, you know, joint income. As long as that joint income can be sourced, the spouse who's on the H-4 visa can be the primary applicant for the EB-5. And that would include the spouse who's here on the H-1B and also children under 21, and everybody's included in the uh, application and everybody gets green cards. So again, another conversation that's case by case, but it's it's a question that comes up quite a bit in that regard because it makes it a little bit easier to have to contain the EB-5 process 
and keep that sort of like a, a personal thing within the family that doesn't really interfere with necessarily H-1B employment if, if somebody's trying to be cautious about that. The EB-5 industry tends to be very focused on real estate in terms of opportunities for the petitioner to invest. It's not always real estate. There are other options, but can you share with our audience how they may go about finding an EB-5 opportunity to invest in? Yeah, sure. That's, you know, the million dollar or the $500,000 question that we always get oftentimes with, with clients is, you know, how do I find a good project? Where do I invest? How do I get that information? So on and so forth. As immigration attorneys, you know, we're not financial advisors. We're not licensed to recommend particular investments, but we do have a, a duty of service and loyalty to our clients to try and, you know, point them in the best direction possible so that they can make the best decisions that they can. In ways that they can find out about projects are, for example, working with a broker dealer uh, here in the United States. People, there are broker dealers out there who have projects that they've vetted themselves, can provide licensed recommendations and information specifically about that project and talk to the investor about the pros and cons of a particular project to meet their uh, risk tolerances and so on and so forth. There's new things popping up that are really cool, such as um, EB-5 portal, for example, where investors can go online and, and look at projects that are on, on the portal and learn about those, speak to a broker-dealer uh, and find out information about those. And then investors can ask their attorneys um, that they're working with to perhaps make an introduction uh, to someone at the project, for example, if they want to look at a specific project and just make a general introduction to the person at that project and then let the investor and their financial advisors work with the work with the contact at the project about finding out information. And then the immigration attorney is really lying in the wait. They're there to answer questions related to the project that might be immigration related and to help that part of the process as well. So we're really good facilitators in that regard. The, the investor sort of comes to us to give them a general you know, roadmap as to who do they go to next to find that project. And we sort of just hand them off and make key introductions to people and professionals that are able to provide that advice. There are over 1 million foreign students here in the United States. How does EB-5 stack up in comparison to H-1B for foreign students? It's definitely an option. I look at it this way. EB-5 isn't for everyone, obviously. You know, it's a lot of money. Like, there's a level of sophistication that's, that's required in the, in the process. There's a lot of, a lot of documents that are important to read and review. And, you know, for the right student, it might be the right opportunity for them. I think if a person is over here from a different country and they're studying here in the United States and they're looking to stay and work here beyond being a student, find a job and things like that, uh, the first place that they start is the H-1B. But like I said before, uh, the H-1B is not a guarantee. And the odds of being selected in the lottery system that we have right now are not favorable. And Oftentimes, students are left scrambling, and families back home are very frustrated with the lack, the lack of employment options in the United States, especially for citizens of China and India, where they don't have other valuable visa options for entrepreneurs like e-visas and things like that. It can be very difficult to figure out a path upon graduation as to how to get a job, stay here, and actually make that educational investment pay off. For example, if most foreign students are paying tuition in cash, 
and that cash typically comes from their parents or or someone from back home. And let's say that they're going to a school, you know, that's going to cost them two hundred thousand dollars over the course of four years in terms of tuition, room and board, everything else that's being paid out there. And they spend that $200,000 on their education, you know, and their child comes out, you know, at 21, 22 years old or, or whatever, and they can't get a job because they've used their OPT, their one year of work authorization that they get as a result of being a student here, or they use their OPT extension if they have a STEM degree. But at some point, they're going to have to find a long-term solution if they want to work in the United States and live in the United States. And it's the H-1B, right? It's the sometimes you have to try over and over and over again if you're if you're able to do that, to get an H-1B, and you might not be able to get that. And it's very frustrating. And so there's a lot of uncertainty with that. Uh, one potential uh, cure the EB-5 can provide, if you know early on that it, it could be difficult to get a, a work visa upon graduation, you might be able to bypass, bypass that by participating in the EB-5 program. You know, if you've spent $200,000, $300,000 in cash, on your child's education, maybe um, there's a way for the student to make an investment uh, under the EB-5 program to make sure that they have a green card when they graduate and they get a, get a job and work wherever they want. Part of the limitations with the H-1B is that it's employer-specific. You can only work for that employer. And if you want to switch jobs, that new employer has to file a change of employer petition and absorb those costs and just sort of cumbersome and, and it's not very fluid with the green card. You can work wherever you want, live wherever you want, own a company if you want. Can't really start your own company under an H-1B visa, so it's hard to be entrepreneurial. And it's a, it's a great way to sort of get the flexibility of the American dream, be able to uh, do whatever you want upon graduation. You know, we would advise students who might be looking to do that, obviously, that they have to make sure that they're accredited and they qualify for the program, but if they do, you know, try to do something in their sophomore year, for example. That way, that gives them enough time to process their paperwork, their petition, get their green card application filed, so that while they're in OPT upon graduation, they might be able to adjust their status and get a green card, and then that solves the whole H-1B problem. They can work wherever they want. Again, obviously, it's not for everyone. We're talking about a large investment and things like that, but for the right set of circumstances, for the right applicant, this is a great option. For those people that can meet the qualifications. Here at the EB-5 Investor Portal, our goal is to simplify the process as much as we can. We work with immigration attorneys like yourself. We work with a firm called Proxy Capital Partners. We work with a broker-dealer who is an investment banker that does the, you know, that basically describes the project and goes through the selling of the security with the petitioner. Can you talk a little bit about the various professionals that will be helping the investor on this journey? It can be pretty daunting and seem like a very complicated process. And here at the EB-5 Investor Portal, we like to do a lot of hand-holding, really make sure that the investor understands all of these very key professionals, essentially, that are going to be surrounding them and working with them through this process. Can you talk a little bit about that, Sam, and, and specifically Proxy Capital Partners and why that firm uh, working in tandem with the EB-5 Investor Portal and an immigration attorney like yourself uh, could be of value and very helpful to the investor? Yeah, sure. The EB-5 process can be overwhelming. 
and trying to understand all the moving parts. You're dealing with immigration law, securities law, corporate law, finance, investments, things of that nature that can be, you know, quite confusing and convoluted. And, and really, at the end of the day, if you're contemplating an EB-5 investment, you're looking to make sure that you can get your principal back at some point and that you can get the green card and you might be happy with that. And if you can make a little bit of money along the way, fantastic. You know, but we understand that an at-risk investment is just that. There's always a chance that a project could fail. You may not get your, your money back. You may not be able to keep your green card or get your green card at all initially. And it's, it's, you need to pick a project, but you may not necessarily know how to look for the right things. But what we do as immigration attorneys is we boil a project down to its immigration components. And then your financial advisors and a financial team, such as a broker dealer, can, can boil the projects down to their financial characteristics. And then just essentially telling you what's going on in the project. Um, from an immigration perspective, from a financial perspective, um, so that you, you feel like you're making the best decision possible under the circumstances that will help you achieve your, your immigration and financial goals. Companies like Proxy, uh, for example, are third-party monitors and, and managers of EB-5 projects. And what they provide the investor in the EB-5 ecosystem is an independent obligation, so to speak, to make sure that the funds that are being placed in, into the, these projects by the investors are being used exactly how they're supposed to be used, that the money is being tracked, that job creation is being tracked, that expenditures are being tracked, and providing access via a portal for the investor to be able to get real-time information as to how their money is being used in a project that they can actually have some peace of mind as to what's going on. I think what's happened frequently in the past with you know the EB-5 program and the EB-5 industry is that money is collected by investors and there's very little contact or uh, relationship moving forward between the project and the investor. And companies like Proxy try to create a better, more seamless ongoing relationship with the project the professionals involved and the investors to make sure that they understand what's going on. They're getting updates. They're getting the appropriate documents that they need, whether it's tax documents or disclosure documents in real time as they're going through the life cycle of their investment, which could be you know easily five years or, or more. And uh, those types of service providers are out there and they're involved in projects. They help give uh, investors and other stakeholders in the EV5 space comfort that there is a proper third-party administration going on in projects to make sure that you know, the goals that everybody is trying to achieve are actually achieved. So that's kind of what uh, is going on right now. I think everybody in the industry that's really involved in EV5 support you know, improved integrity measures with the program nationally. I know that in Washington with proposed legislation, this is something that's at the forefront of everyone's minds. I think everybody supports that. And this EB-5 ecosystem is responding to that, finding ways to be more accountable with the program, finding ways to make it more organized, more efficient. You know, companies like Proxy are providing those services. Uh, immigration attorneys and, and firms such as BNK have always been conservative and making sure that uh, we're making the best decisions possible for our clients. And you're finding that regional centers and developers are also being much more 
involved and organized on how they assemble their teams of who's involved with the projects. So I think the the EB5 industry is improving. And, you know, we just make sure that our clients know what's going on and that we're here to help them along the way. So from my understanding and, and what you've you've said, Proxy Capital Partners has essentially put together some some extra protection tools for the EB-5 investor. I mean, I subscribe to EB-5 alerts and I get, you know, an update every so often, uh, every couple months or so that says that a project failed or somebody didn't do the right thing with the money or, you know, the industry has, has gotten a few black eyes in that regard. And so... Proxy Capital Partners is basically here to be on the investor's side from what from what I'm hearing. Is that correct? I think protection tools was, was a good way to describe it, how you said it. What made a lot of these EP5 fraud stories possible is that a lot of deals in the past were assembled such that there was a lot of conflicts of interest in the deals, meaning that the regional center was the same person or group of people that was the developer and the issuer was the same person as the regional center and the developer, and they were all the same people. And it was like left hand giving money to right hand. And I think for uh, these unscrupulous actors who were uh, looking to take advantage of that, it just made it very, very easy to defraud investors or to misappropriate funds inappropriately. And proxy comes in to help eliminate that, right? And also in conjunction with that, the advent of more broker-dealers coming into the space and encouraging uh, EB-5 actors, um, such as regional centers, developers, to eliminate some of these conflicts of interest have really helped improve the investment environment within the EB-5 program. And what Proxy's main purpose is to come in and to be an independent third-party service provider that uh, has the authority to monitor and and help manage the EV5 capital flow process from intake to deployment and back. And these are the types of companies that are able to provide an immediate value add to an offering because the issuer of these securities are able to say, look, we have a third party that we don't control who has the authority to oversee how this money is going to be used. They're going to update you on how this money is going to be used. We get in trouble if we don't use it correctly. (laughs) And they're able to build a catalog of statistics and data and documents that we can use to make ourselves more compliant with USCIS to respond to potential USCIS audits to SEC or FINRA audits, and that we can use to give you continuous updates as to the performance of your investment, the use of your funds, and uh, how you're moving along through the process of making an investment and trying to make a return. So I think that's what uh, the space is moving towards. It's what companies like uh, Proxy are specializing in. Those are the types of projects that we feel like are the most valuable in the market um, here at BMK. Per the EB-5 program, and the main purpose of of your client's investment in this program is to create 10 jobs, 10 new jobs. And 
Um, if those jobs aren't being tracked properly, if you're not showing proof that those jobs, not you as the attorney, but the regional center um, is not showing that those jobs were created properly and they're not being tracked properly, that could cause a problem that could prevent the petition from being approved. And so firms like Proxy Capital Partners help uh, essentially track how the funds are being dispersed, as you mentioned, and and they make sure that the developer or the regional center, that that money is being used properly, essentially, to create those jobs. Can you talk a little bit about how all of these professionals working together uh, can help track the jobs and help make sure that these really critical aspects of the petition are being handled properly and when all is done right should result in the investor getting a green card when done wrong they will almost always uh, uh, result in a denial yeah absolutely there's a an ongoing requirement that the regional center file annual reports to update immigration as to how the regional center is promoting economic activity to the benefit of uh, the U.S. and they have to make those filings every year. On those forms, they have to report how many jobs have been created in the fiscal year, um, how much investment has gone into their region. And on top of that, they have to also report to potential USCIS audits, so to speak, that might be coming up down the road and site visits and, and be able to report that information to, to USCIS firsthand. And then as well, the, the investor has to demonstrate that their money is being put to work to employ U.S. workers. And when they file their 829 petitions, they have to show that their investment has resulted in the creation of at least 10 full-time uh, jobs for qualified U.S. workers um, in order for them to keep their green card. So what happens if the investor can't prove that or the project is so unorganized that they can't really demonstrate that those jobs have been created or documented correctly or presented correctly, et cetera? Well, that investor has their 829 denied, and they're going to receive a notice to appear in immigration court to face deportation. So it's a huge deal, all because of unorganization or, or mismanagement of information, and you have an investor there who might be deported because, because of that. So what broker-dealers, third-party uh, fund administrators like Proxy and, and a good team of professionals, immigration attorneys, financial advisors, so on and so forth, do is they, they help streamline and organize the process, not only for the investor, but, but for regional centers and issuers and developers to make sure that uh, things are running smoothly. It's not a conflict. Everybody wants the same goal. You know, the investor wants the project to move forward and do what it's supposed to do so that they can get their green card make a return on their investment and uh, continue to live in the United States. You know, the developer wants to build the project so that they can profit off of their project and they want to be able to repay their debts. And uh, the EB-5 loan is, is part of those debts. And the regional sensor wants to make sure that, you know, that flow is being done correctly and that they're able to, you know, oversee and administer this specific project for investors. And so everybody is moving towards the same goal. They want success. But there's better ways to do it than other ways. And having a, a team of people together that can monitor and track how things are going and be able to generate reports in real time to whoever needs them 
adds more accountability to everybody involved. It adds more peace of mind that uh, everything is moving correctly and that it makes it um, more likely that the project's going to be successful in the end. And for anyone in our audience that may be looking to apply for an EB-5 visa, can they call you, Sam? Are you accepting new clients? Um, can you help them uh, in this process? Yeah, absolutely. We give uh, free consultations, 15, 20 minutes by phone, by Skype, in person. Let us know. I mean, we're here to answer people's questions that they may have, not only about EB-5, but just immigration in general. The BMK, we're the oldest immigration firm in the country. Um, we do every kind of immigration you can imagine, and we've, we've always done that uh, since the beginning of our firm. So we handle all types of EB-5 cases, all types of immigration cases in general. And, you know, we're really good at the interplay between all the immigration categories and uh, what's going on. So we're giving, we can give you comprehensive advice with respect to your immigration situation. And, you know, we're happy, we're happy to, to answer questions at any time. I'd like to thank you again, Sam, for all of this wonderful information for our audience, for anyone who may be here in the United States on an H-1B and maybe considering the EB-5 program, you've just given us some really great information. And so thank you again. And we look forward to having you on the show again real soon. Absolutely. Uh, I really appreciate being on the podcast. And thank you. Visit eb5eb5.com today. Come to America. Live your life in America. The EB-5 program offers a path to U.S. citizenship. Invest in your family's future. America offers world-class healthcare. America's top colleges. Clean air and water. Our team of professionals are here to help. Contact us today. The EB-5 Investor Portal. Visit eb5eb5.com today.